This is page 68 of Esoteric Psychology, Volume 1. Good book. Anyone that wants to learn Esoteric Psychology and the Rays, that's the book to go to. And then it's supplemented by other books of DK, such as the Rays Initiations. There's 18 statements on this page to do with the third ray. And on page 69, we've got the sub-rays of the third ray. DK has got a, a esoteric system, so he gives us 18 statements. So DK's first statement is the keeper of the records. This is quite interesting. So when I do these sort of things, I actually have to see whether that's a first-rate statement or a seventh-rate statement, and sometimes it's difficult to whip it some other rate it starts off with. In this particular case, it actually is the first-rate statement. Though, as I said, I did have to look at it as a possibility of a seventh ray, because sometimes the seventh ray is the, the grounding or the, the reified first ray. What records are these? The records are the result of the sum of a great zodiacal year, of a Mahamantara, of a period of incarnation. Therefore, everything that was obtained as a consequence of that cycle of evolution, all of the karma, the karmic records is what is, what is kept by means of the third ray at this first sub-ray level. Now, again, we're looking at the point of descent or process of descent from Logos to where we are now in humanity. So it's a, a process of a Logos looking down, producing a sphere of manifestation, an incarnate world sphere. And before anything was or is, before the seed germ of of a universe or a world system or the embryo of a human form, something has to keep the records of the past cycle. Something has to store the karma of it all. Something has to work out how that karma is to manifest. So if you can think of the time prior to incarnation of a universe, etc., then the third ray function is that all of the karma is withdrawn into the primordial atom, the seven spirals and spirillae of the atom, as, for instance, it's given in the Treatise of Cosmic Fire. First given out in 1875 by Edward D. Babbitt in a book called Principles of Light and Colour. So the keeper of the records... When one does the numbers here, then the keeper, the numbers of the keeper adds up to 48, which refers to cancer, the fourth sign of the zodiac. And therefore, it is the records that are going to go through the open door of incarnation in the sign cancer. As I said, it's just prior to Manvantara. After this first ray process of abstraction of a last cycle of experience, then we go into the descent of all of this knowledge, all of this wisdom, all of this karma of a past cycle into manifestation. It does that via the second ray, dispensation. And therefore the 3-2, if you want quality, is the Lord of Memory. It's the organized memory stored in the universal mind prior to the new cycle. 
and here when we does the numbers in your cycle is Libra and therefore we see that prior to the turning of the great wheel of the zodiac prior to the dispensation of karma which is what Libra does it's the interlude between breaths and this is the lord of memory so if you can think of the way that your memory is stored I give a lot of information about this actually in my book Cellular Consciousness Cells of Mind first chapter onwards those who have actually read that will understand quite well of how this memory memory is organised in terms of mandalas of activity they're abstracted and not yet formed and how memory comes into manifestation via the building of a mandala so the whole process associated with causation of the building of a mandala in the mind of a meditating one in the interlude between breaths as you probably know in meditation and something it's a inhalation hold breath meditation exhalation the outward expression of what you gained in the holding of the breath so this is now the keeper of the records is the inhalation the lord of memory is the holding of the breath and some meditation techniques they actually count one, two, three, four, five, six and so forth which is a very very silly method of meditation because it just makes you focus upon numbers rather than just being in the eternal now because this is what this second phrase is really about the eternal now that now that transcends time and space where there's no cycle per se it's just universal mind the mind is everywhere and within that mind is memory the memory of the past and then the organisation of that memory in order to produce the present future therefore we get the beginning of the activation of the cycles of time but we are in a space a time zone space if you want that is beyond time which is mind what is the memory therefore it's the organisation of karma of certain samskaras karma from the past that is to be projected towards the future which the mind that the lord of memory looks at and says out of all of these images of mind this and this and this and this shall be now used for the new mandala to be so that's the second sub-ray aspect of the third ray of a logos in the process of the scent now the third sub-ray of this particular dispensation of the third ray of this logos is the unifier of the lower four so here we now have the starting of the activity of the new Mahamanvantara the lower four is the personality structure we call it the physical body the etheric body the astral body and the mental body the mind it's the periodical vehicle it's the samsara it's that which is incarnated into and so the third sub-ray of the third ray organises and 
brings together all of the functions of the law four so that it can be a corporal form. If you think something like of what happens in the womb of a mother as the, child, as the fetus is being formed, that's the third subray aspect of the third ray. It does this with mathematical exactitude. It's its activity. Everything happens in accordance with the sequence of the plan of the memory. And you can see, once that seed, the male seed, has been united with the ovum, from then onwards, everything happens according to the genetics, according to the energy that's set into motion, until eventually the child comes out of the womb. It's all pre-planned, and every force within the womb is being preconditioned to produce that child once the seed has been implanted. That whole preconditioning process is the third subray of the third ray, the unifier of the lower four. It integrates it so the birth can happen. The form so the birth can happen. It brings together all the scattered elements of the past cycles in terms of the new world sphere. Is the child going to be male? Is the child going to be female? Is the child, and we're looking in human terms, going to be born in Africa or born in America or whatever it is? Those conditionings, that whole astrological preconditioning and placing of time, space, etc., has been fought out by the Lord of Memory. And that which was the records of the past have worked through the memory and now with mathematical exactitude, with perfect expression, the incarnation process begins. I hope you enjoyed this third ray because what we're talking about here, as you can see also, is the Diva Kingdom and in many ways the way the Diva Kingdom functions. Aspects of the Diva mind. They give birth. They are all of the preconditioned elements of the womb wherein that child is forming. And so their mind is what produces and brings together all of the elements of the final birthing. You can see it means that the future has to be worked out of what is the result of the initial seed fought, the building of the mandala. The fourth subray of the third ray relates to incarnating into etheric space into the chakra system, is described here as the interpreter of that which is seen. The interpreter is, of course, the mind itself, the mind of the Logos. What is it that is seen? The conditions of the form. Now, when one goes into incarnation, if you think of yourselves, the soul that is producing your form within the womb of the mother is not just thinking of mummy dear. The soul actually has to think of the entire environment of which that child is born into the whole family situation, the national situation, the international situation, the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years of of expressed or proposed life of the individual and all of the karmic incidences that are going to happen 
it all has to be pre-thought out. The goal has to be seen for what it is to be expressed. It's interesting, is it not, that all of the major incidents of your life have been worked out before you are incarnated, plus all the people you have to meet in proper sequence. The type of mind you are to develop, the type of ray equipment. It's an amazing aspect of the third ray to have all of that wisdom, is it not? This is the fourth sub-ray aspect. You can begin to understand part of the process of the work of the divas, what they have in their minds when they produce a world form or any other aspect of it. And when it comes to the masters of wisdom that embody this third ray, they're looking at the whole evolution of a civilization, and it all has to be pre-thought out long before that civilization comes into being, comes to be expressed. All of the factors, how does the Dark Brotherhood play, how is the forces of life going to uh, respond to that, what is the expected outcome, what are the cosmic forces that are to be brought in bear, um, how, are, how is the child going to respond to those energies and so forth. How does the karma of the past cycle impinge upon the present of all the new conditionings? And as the ethic body is activated, all of this comes into play. And this is the interpreter of that which is seen. Because what I've just described here is what is seen in the mind's eye. This is the appearance of samsara. And you've got to interpret it correctly. If this particular stage of the creative process is to manifest. And you can see the entire theme of the third ray is creation. Is the bringing of form of any manifestation. It can be, for instance, such as is now on your world religion. It can be a civilization, it can be a planetary sphere, a solar sphere, a whole cosmos. The process is the same and goes through these stages. It is the nature of the great mind working through the appearance of what in the book of Revelation is called the great beast, the number 666. Now, the 666 is everything to do with the emotional world, the watery sphere that birthing happens via. Same as when the head of the child breaks out of the womb, it's accompanied by the release of a flood of waters. And so it's the appearance of phenomena. The whole implication here is the turning of the zodiacal wheel. The wheel of the cycles of evolution turn. And that which is seen is the entire astrological dispensation of the individual concerned. Whether it's the the sun travelling on its interstellar path producing the, the precession of the equinoxes or your own natal charts when it's correctly interpreted, all of this then is part of the awakening of the heart chakra. Now the fifth ray, or the fifth sub-ray, and this is the real element of the third ray, is the, the fires of mind, and he calls it the Lord of Balance. 
So the Lord of Balance is the activity of the mind that balances samsara with the initiation path and that awakens the enlightened mind. So the whole function of the awakening of consciousness is to produce this balance between samsara and shunyata. It is to, first of all, reside in samsara and gain knowledge, to gain the activity of, the, the, the results of sense impression via samsaric activity, until through the process that's been taught in Buddhism of, of that if you're attached to any of it produces pain and when you relinquish attachment to it then you gain release from suffering and therefore um, the methodology is the Noble Eightfold Path. All of this is um, this fifth ray, the production of the wisdom that is the balance between the extremes of enlightenment or liberation and samsara or repetitive death into form and all of the misery and cycles of happiness and pain, happiness and pain that you have in samsara. So it's a good way of looking at the mind, the mind that produces the initiation process. As it eventually says, this attachment to samsara produces too much pain, I shall relinquish attachment and aspire upwards to a higher domain. In my writings, um, both the I concept and cellular consciousness, this particular phase of balance is what I call the nexus between samsara, samsara and shunyata. And the whole process of enlightenment is to stand at that nexus, neither in samsara or in shunyata, and that is the balance. And that is what the third ray is endeavouring to achieve. And therefore we call this the awakened mind, the illumined mind, mind of a capital M. By the time this fifth stage of the creative process appears, manifests, therefore there is a balance of forces between cosmos and that form in which cosmos is incarnating through. And it takes the entire creative process, the entire turning of the wheels again and again and again and again and again until samsara produces its fruit. So the sixth sub-ray of the third ray is called the Divine Separator. It's an interesting concept here. What is it that separates? The astral plane stands between mind, which is where the Lord of Balance is, and the physical. Right? It's the separator. It's an energy field that separates the form, which is the illusion, samsara, proper, and the mind, so that the mind can know the form, come to know itself. So the producer of the astral plane, which separates uh, the zone of the 777 incarnations um, from the domain of mind and capital M, or enlightened mind. So the divine separator 
is this repetitive incarnation through the watery sphere producing therefore this sixth ray or sixth ray dispensation of emotions that you all know so much about and the associated glamour which separates you from the um, kingdom of God and separates the kingdom of God from samsara. And we all quite well know the battles that you go through to overcome this zone of separation, the sixth sub-ray of the third ray. And therefore, those that are on the sixth sub-ray line must work at the overcoming of this production of the vile of illusion associated with glamour, with maya, with the emotional world, in order to unite with that which is divinity. And therefore, we give this term, or this quality, the energy of devotion. And devotion manifests high aspiration to unite with the concept of the Creator, the Keeper of the Records, the Lord of Memory. Go back from whence it came. Now, the seventh sub-ray on this path of descent is called the discriminating essential life. And it is the embodiment of mind that discriminates the vicissitudes of what karma needs to manifest and to sustain samsara. We have here with regards to the concept of ritual, of cycles of magic. You discriminate. This is alchemy now in the process of manifestation. What is it that produces the essential life? What is it that is the form that must be left behind or transmuted, consubstantiated with divinity? Transformed, consubstantiated, transmuted into the philosopher's stone. And the symbolic number is the number 777. The magical invocation working with divas to distill the essential life or the essential knowledge, the essential teaching out of the whole morass of information that exists on the physical plane in samsara. And all of you have worked through the seventh sub-ray of, of the third ray in order to come here. You've said, well, these teachings are the distillation or the essential life of all the other teachings out there. There's nothing better. And you compare. And through comparing, you work your own internal alchemy and say, this is the right path. These are the highest teachings. This is the essential life that leads to divinity. And this is the seventh sub-ray of the third ray and the way it manifests. The discriminating is central life. So it's the embodiment of abstract mind. It's not like on the fifth sub-ray where it's the lord of balance, where it's more the concrete mind balancing one from the other. With this particular thing, you're actually bringing the abstract mind, you're bringing divinity right into samsara in order to transform, transmute samsara into divinity itself. You're making the samsara divine. You're making your illusional physical plane reality into an instrument 
of enlightenment, an instrument to liberate the all. And this is the seventh subray. And this way then, divinity has incarnated into the dense form completely and wholly, utterly, to produce the philosopher's stone in each and every one of you. And then you can transmute base metals into gold and produce all those miracles that the siddhas of India and Tibet are supposed to be able to do, such as fly through the air and so forth. Looking forward to that, but it's another day yet. But this is the seventh subject. Now we go, we've now been talking about the path of descent of divinity into form in order to make the form, the samsara, the atoms of substance, its own. Now it goes through the path of ascent. We start with the seventh subray quality, which is the one who produces alliance. So the ascent of divinity is the discriminating essential life, and the ascent is the one who produces alliance. And most of you would say, well, alliance with what? And obviously, if you're starting from the ground up, it's alliance with divinity, is it not? And that's where you're at. You're, as the seventh sub-ray of the third ray, you're trying to produce alliance through ritual, through your temple worship, through the ritual and the magic of your lives, through um, regularly doing your meditation, your breathing exercises, your visualizations, and all the other types of service work that keeps your mind active and vital and healthy and oriented towards divinity, towards Shambhala, hierarchy, the divas, and all the rest of it. With regards to the third ray, what you're really looking for is to make an alliance with the divas. The one who produces alliance is the ability to work on the physical plane to recognize and acknowledge the diva law of which is the substance that your bodies have appropriated with your minds as diva. So you make an alliance consciously with them and with their law, L-O-R-E and L-A-W, the law of karma, and you ascend upwards through conscious cooperation with the diva life that is all, the great mother. This is a Taurian function, the awakening of the all-seeing eye. That's what alliance produces. Now the sixth subray of the third ray on the path of ascent is the three-sided triangle. By now you know that the sixth subray or the sixth ray is relates to the astral plane, and the astral plane here is no longer a field of glamour, a field of the emotions, a field of attachment to objects of the senses and produces all your astral hells and astral heavens, but it's just simply a field of energy that produces alliance between manas, the mind and the form. It produces alliance between the Deva kingdom and the human kingdom. And so you use the energy field of the emotional body. Once the emotional body has been cleared of all its attachments, its glamour fields, its illusional forms, its desires, and just simply isn't a body of energy. A body of energy that is utilised largely towards 
higher attachment, alliance with Shambhala, alliance with hierarchy, alliance with the beloved. We can talk in terms of the great poets and the way they speak of the beloved and do some beautiful creative imagery here with regards to this particular three-sided triangle of the sixth sub-ray of the third ray on the path of ascent. So you can think of the great poets, the great devotees of life and their service work and think of yourselves emulating them in love with the divas, in love with hierarchy. No longer a victim of your emotions and your desires. That is gone. Instead, it's just pure love, pure devotion. Now, the fifth sub-ray is called the Illuminator of the Lotus. What is the Lotus here? We can call it the soul. The soul of life, the anima mundi, if you're referring it to the collective group soul of humanity, any such form in cosmos. And the fifth sub-ray of the third ray, in other words, the function of the mind proper. This is the mind's true function, is to illumine the form of divinity, the way it truly manifests. In Buddhism, it's called the Sambhogakaya aspect of life. And the mind reveals it. The mind, like I've done with the geometry that I've shown you before, and the way you philosophers do with their writings, the way you do with your meditation mind, you awaken the inner plane beauty, the reality of the divinity that is within. It reveals the soul and you project the true floral form of all of life and you project the antikranas from here to there by means of mind. You project the consciousness links which is what the term antikrana means. And so this is the fifth subray of the third ray on the path of ascent. And this is basically where all of you are at now. You, hopefully most of you, are saying, well, these emotions stink. I don't need them, don't want them. Uh, What I want is the pure revelation of heavenly vision that comes through my meditation mind. And I am busy devoting all of my life to project the links from my consciousness to the collective consciousness of hierarchy or to your higher selves your soul, or at a higher stage of initiation process to the monadic life, to cosmos itself, and you do it via meditation mind, via Raja Yoga, or the higher forms of yoga. So, that's the fifth stage of ascent via this third brain methodology. I hope you all like the third ray, it's got its beauty to it. Now, the fourth sub-ray of the third ray is the builder of the foundation. And what is the foundation here? It's not the foundation on the path of descent, which was the fourfold form. It's the foundation of your cosmic life, the builder of the foundation of the four cosmic ethers, the foundation of shunyata, of residing in the void, if you wish. From the fifth sub-ray, 
where you're projecting the antikranas. In the fourth subray, you actually build the new form of life, the new form of light, the new vehicle of expression that you will manifest in Shambhala, in the domains and halls of hierarchy, the body of light itself that you will be as a consequence of your service work as a consequence of your compassion. And therefore, the entire Bodhisattva path is indicated here. It's the foundation of you being a Bodhisattva. The third sub-ray is the forerunner of the light. Now, what is the light here? Is the light of illumination. The light that we've spoke of before, which is the radiance of the mind the awakened mind, and it just simply is described as radiance. And the radiance pervades the universe. And therefore, you can see here, there's a a link with the second ray. So the forerunner of the light is what this third sub-ray of the third ray manifests as one travels up. Here we have a description, technically, of Dharmakaya, of the type of wisdom of the Dhyani Buddhas, the wisdom of their combined lights. The travel purely on these seven ray lines to manifest the light of a sun in full flower, the light of a liberated being which is his aura, the light of liberated mind. It's a forerunner because this proper radiance happens at the second stage, or the second highest stage, as the love principle comes in and transmogrifies substance. The second sub-ray is the one who veils and yet reveals. So at this particular stage, you build a form like the masters use when they appear to you. There's the form of Kutumi in this blue form or of any of the masters that appear to you. They have their Sambhogakaya form and it appears in a form that those beings on the physical plane that aspire to heights can recognize and receive information from and yet it veils the true monadic light that they are so at this particular stage you build a new body of light a new persona that is the expression of the gained wisdom and love according to the ray line that you are traveling on And so this new persona is built as an enlightened being. It veils and yet reveals. It speaks and yet what it veils is far greater than what you see when you talk to one of the masters or when you receive the impressions from them. Or any other form such as the incarnation of a solar lord or planetary logos. They build this form, which you can see on the inner realms, but it veils much more than is shown to you. 
and all enlightened beings travel through such a body of light into cosmos. So what is hinted at here is that the deeper substance is retained and worked with at this particular stage so that it's not just shunyata, it's not empty, it is actually a body of living light or of mind substance with a capital M that is a form that can be contacted and experienced that veils the true cosmic entity that you are. The first subray brings us back to where we are when we started in the whole thing. There we were given the keeper of the records, and here we've got the dispenser of time. The keeper of the records dispenses time. So when you get to the highest level, this is the Eddy level of the third ray, then we have one who has absorbed everything into a point of light that is monadic. It's one, oneness. So all that was the result of those 777 incarnations, which is the gain of you being a master of wisdom and so forth and all the experience in cosmos, all of that now has been absorbed into a point of glory and then you can again dispense the cycles of time or the cycles of expression for the next incarnation, the next step on of your monadic life. This is dharmaic mind. So this brings you back to the keeper of the records. You become a keeper of the records as you learn to dispense time. You are outside the cycles of time and then you build a form which time exists. You learn to become a lord of time, a logos, a planetary logos, a solar logos and so forth. Now, at this particular level, the dispense of time, there's four more third ray functions that DK gives and you can technically we finish but it gives us four more and the next one is called the lord of space then there's the universal mind then the threefold wick and finally the great architect of the universe now these four plus the dispense of time manifest a pentad of energy the dispense of time in Buddhism is the first of the Dhyani Buddhas, first of the Buddhas of meditation, Varakana or Rachana. The functions of Rachana is hidden here, is veiled here, as the central point of the mandala of the jinas, of the Buddhas of meditation. The element is ether. Then the second of the Buddhas of meditation, the element is air is Aksobhya and the Lord of Space. This is the blue space of love, the blue space of consciousness itself. The substance of that consciousness is what this here, this phrase, refers to. And you can see what 
decay is getting here. These final five statements, including incorporating the dispenser of time, is that once you've attained the Dharmakaya, you manifest the qualities of one of the five jinas, one of the five Buddhas of meditation, which I explained in detail in my books, especially cellular consciousness. It's just full of this teaching. And, of course, in Buddhism, you can gain the elementary teachings of foundation Tibetan mysticism by Govinda. So this is the Dharmakaya, and the way the Dharmakaya is organized is according to this fivefold manifestation of the Buddhas of meditation, of which we are the symbol in our head, two arms, and torso with two feet attached to it. So the third function of this, these five Buddhas of meditation is called here the universal mind. And this is the element of fire, and the Dhyana Buddha is called the Mitabha. With the dispenser of time, the Buddhists call his consciousness the Dhammadhatu wisdom, simply the body of Dharma. The Lord of Space, Akshobhya, his wisdom is the mirror-like wisdom, yes, yes, the um, wisdom that reflects the high and the lower. The Amitabha is the discriminating inner vision, and this is the universal mind. The fourth of the Buddhas of meditation is called the threefold wit. And this is the energy that builds the souls of humanity, the three petals of the lotus, the three tiers of petals, and the three aspects of the abstract mind. The threefold wit, this is the energy of Ratnasambhava. This particular place is called the equalizing wisdom and this energy here takes into account that the astral plane which you are so familiar with is an illusion. And what is in its place at this particular level of expression are the seeds of form whereby divas can be directed, the threefold wick, the mind that which is the body of emotions or the body of energies and the form itself. So the fires of the divine triplicity can be lit at any time to produce a form, the flame of life appearing at any time. And this is the energy of Ratna Sabhava or the equalizing wisdom, seeing everything equally. And the fifth and last of these qualities which relates to Amogasiddhi and the all-accomplishing wisdom, the earthy element, the other one was, of course, the watery element, the threefold wick. The earthy element here is given the great architect of the universe. So this then, this energy, this earthy quality produces, once you understand the meaning of earth and its application, produces all of the geometry of space of time that allows the appearance of form. Whereas the threefold wick is the inherent life of the form, the spiritual triad that imbues that form with life. And the universal mind, of course, is the mind from which everything evolves from and recedes back into. The Lord of Space is that which is beyond mind. It just simply is space. And the dispenser of time is that point 
from which all proceeds and all must recede back into the logoic point, the point within the eye, the eye that is the sphere of logos. You've got for a universal symbol for all sun gods is the point within the circle and the monadic eye. This is the dispenser of time, the first stage of the creative process. And so we've got here the functioning of the third ray given for all of you. Hopefully some of you can build on it if you wish. The five Buddhas of wisdom. And so you actually have to look at them in terms of a mandala with the um, dispense of time at the very centre. And then there's a north, south, east, west polarization, as given in the Tibetan books and in my writings. And then you have to place the Dhyani Buddhas and these functions within that particular mandala. So that's the proper way of doing it because it's actually the nature of the manifestation of an enlightened mind on the planes of enlightenment. Uh, horizontal mandala. That's right. It stays. It stays on Dharmakaya. It stays on the plane Atma. That's the lowest point of descent of this particular mandala. There's five chakras of the Buddhist system, so the entire Buddhist philosophy is woven into this. Then the manifest five divide five chakras into form to produce the phenomena of of all that is. This philosophy is given in, in great detail in in my book, Cellular Consciousness with some of it in eye concept. It seemed on a very abstract level reflective of the creative function of the third ray. A lot of what you were talking about was kind of cosmogenesis in a sense, or building of universes. Well, that's what the third ray is all about. Mm. And remember, you know, these first three rays, the first, second and third rays, are actually quite difficult to understand because they abstract it. Whereas the rays of mind, the third ray down, is easier to understand with a more related form. The third ray is the ray of the builder of, of the Deva kingdom, of Brahma in the Hindu philosophy, and of course the second ray is, is Vishnu or Krishna, and the first ray is Shiva. So you've got the creator in Brahma, the preserver in Vishnu, and then the destroyer in Shiva. All the rays come into manifestation and come out of manifestation. So these particular statements are all related to that, the way that the rays manifest in and out of space. Can it be applied, therefore, in relationship to a monad being born into a system like this, in a sense, like a monad coming into incarnation? Is that what it's describing? Because there's so many levels and facets. Well, yeah, that can be also described that you can take whatever level you wish and then use these, these... statements to apply it. As above, so below. Yeah, that which is within is also without. So you can go at all these levels, and I was mentioning there's a Logos, Monad, Soul, the form, but on on the whole, in this particular state, let us start with the concept of Logos descending and form ascending. And what could be thought of as incarnation, disincarnation, or disincarnation and incarnation? In the sense of yeah. if you're looking at it from the form of bubble, if you're looking at it from... Yeah, you can see, for instance, yeah. if I was actually going to write a book on these statements mm-hmm. in this here, it would take, you know, hundreds of pages for me to fully explain. I would give it in much more detail. Right? And I'd also go into the sub-rays and things like that. But I'm trying to save me from having to write a book, as I said at the beginning, so that 
we're just giving a talk, give you the keynotes, and then from these keynotes, key phrases, key ideas, you can write the book later. Or somebody can. Oh, I thought you were originally going to talk about the ashramic type of affiliations, mm-hmm. you see, so I was quite surprised at just how um, cosmic and cosmogenic it is. So the dispenser of time is essentially more abstract than the Lord of Space. Um, yes, yes. Because he gets the rhythm or the cycles. Yes. So space, space, even though it's an abstract principle, is still the time. The dispenser of time, as I mentioned before, was the point within the circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. The point within the circle, and, and then the lot of space is the substance within, around, around the yeah, circle, and then yeah. the, the, um, yeah. the universal mind is the spiral cyclic motion yeah, that comes from yeah, the, yeah. From the, the yeah. point yeah. to produce the radius of the mind, and then the, the threefold wick is the. Once you've done that, then it manifests in a triune fashion, yeah. father, son, mother. And then the great architect of the universe, well, then from yeah. then onwards, everything sort of comes into flower and to form. As you can see on page 69, I've, I'll probably put into the present book these sub-ray statements, which do are the sub-rays of the ashrams. Okay. Whereas this is more got to do with um, much more abstract... So the dispenser of time is not time. No, it's not it's time. Not time. It's beyond comes time. Later, that's but right. that's the being that dispenses time. That's right. In the Greek mythology, you first get Uranus, and he was abstract time, and then he had sons that he kept on eating, and we are going to all the mythology, but Saturn came and castrated him. So time begins with Saturn, his son. And with Saturn, then, you get karma. The karma is the castration of the abstract principle, which is universal. It limits that abstract into finite cycles of expression. Aren't these statements how the esoterically the rays behave you know, over an evolutionary period? And they're not really about the ashram. They're more about the actual pure ray and how, depending on what its role is at that particular point of the cycle of evolution and has this role which you call the keeper of the records and mm. obviously there are great lords that are trained to fulfil that role and, and then it has all these sub-roles but it's nothing really to do with ashrams per se at this stage but more out to deepen our understanding of the particular rays. That's right, this, this is all the way it is seen from the point of view of Shambhala right? it's um, Shambhalic sort of perception. And D.K. was obviously reading a Shambhalic book as, and he was just translating into English what would have been ancient Zenza or something like that, so, symbolic. On the inner realms. Yeah. Would you say then, say, each of these sub-rays, these aspects of the way these border rays, could they be considered as a diva or would it be better to consider them as a lord of transmuted consciousness in the sense of human? The... Vehicle of the rays is the diva, and the light body of the ray is the human. Mm-hmm. We're getting back into this yin yang mutability between the diva and the human, which you find so difficult to comprehend. The substance is the diva, the spaciousness of the yeah. light, of the energy field is the human. The first and third rays are divic, 
and the second ray that relates those mm. two is human. That's right. Mm. In the end, it's all diva. Mm. The forces of this abstraction and manifestation have yeah, to go right. through, be interrelated via the second ray, which is the human component. Isn't that wonderful? You can see it all in these that. ancient symbols. The yin-yang is what we're talking about, and most people just think of it in terms of positive and negative or whatever, but in reality, it's the human and diva kingdom fusion, the way that they're rolling around. And everything in space and time comes from, from that. That big diagram that I've got of the chakras, which I've shown you before. In the centre of it, any of you have actually looked at it, most, uh, looked at it properly, you'll find is the yin-yang, is this yin-yang symbol is actually based on that. Frodo was presenting this about the dynamic between the diva and the human and saying human is not really what we think of as human, right? When we think of human, we're often thinking of our of, of form, really. We're still thinking mm. uh, where these concrete minds and where these bipeds, it's really consciousness, don't think people, don't think personality. Yeah. That's, right. That's, <laughs> That's right. And if you look at your chakras um, or your soul, it's ve- it's plant-like. That's right. But your not plant-like. It's mineralogical. Therefore, um, that's first ray mm. or third ray. But in between is the plants. Yeah, very good, Adrian. Can I ask you? Abstract space can exist without time. Time, time is delineated space. Time yeah. is a cyclic space, space yeah, that has been... This is the castration of Uranus by Saturn, right? Yeah. Basically what he has is a scythe, a sickle. Right? This is what the Druids also do when they gather the mistletoe. Now this particular sickle is the Earth-Moon relationship. It's actually a geometrical principle we, we, we could go into... Um, when you do the geometry of it, but it's the Earth-Moon relationship and that segregates a portion of abstract space into finite cycles of expression. And the finite cycle is time. Is time, and time is registered by minds that are evolving through time. But as you gain enlightenment, you transcend time, and this yeah. is again this concept of shunyata. There's no time. You're in timelessness. It's it's a yeah, because you're no longer passing through those cycles yes. within that body of manifestation. So, so that's really, timeless. That's timeless. Well, isn't that just a relative concept? Because um, there's still, on a, a more vast and abstract level, there has to be time because cycles continue to evolve. Uh, yes, if you want to look at vaster cycles, the, the, the timelessness can exist on a be part of a sub-cycle of a, of a vaster cycle and so forth. Time, you go on. Yeah. But you'll eventually come to a point when there's no such thing as incarnation, when motion as such has ceased. Darkness alone fills the boundless all. It means, therefore, that there's no space as you understand it, because space as you understand it necessitates a mind in order to comprehend it. Are not time and space then fundamentally dependent Yes, that's why Einstein gave it the space-time continuum. There is space-time. And in my writings, I often separate space from time. But in the um, Einsteinian continuum, it's space evolving with time. So you get the Big Bang. It's an atomic speck of nothingness, everythingness, and it explodes and it explodes and over milliseconds it becomes larger and larger and immense and immense and over time 
this ball of light and whatever becomes universe. So it's the evolution of space evolves with time and time and space are integrated. But that's the Einsteinian space-time continuum relativity. But there's another theory that I prefer, which is a form of steady state, uh, which is plasma cosmology, which is our, our philosophy, which means that it's infinite. And within the infinity, forms come in and out, and they're all relative to each other. In other words, there can be a zillion universes. When I was doing my, my science and all that, I kept on saying to myself, now, E equals MC squared, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. This is the Einsteinian sort yeah. of theory. Now, energy is equable to mass times the speed of light squared. Now, the speed of light squared is measured in units of time. So the, the fallacy of this particular equation is units of time. If you ask any physicist what time is, there is a problem, a real problem. It's all interdependent. So what is time? When was the beginning of time? Was the beginning of time that moment when they saw was the Big Bang? Or was the Big Bang just part of a continuum of universal time? This is where they fall in. And what existed before, the, before that Big Bang? What existed? that caused it in the first place. Something is outside the time-space continuum. See, and where the physicists can't get it right is they can, they can do all their you know, computations right to the last sort of thousands of a second of the universe, but they can't say what started in the first place. Or finishes it. And there's, there's the problem. And how many universes were there before this one? And if there's no mind to register, it doesn't really matter how long the universes were or how many there were, with their billions or a zillion or just one. It's all irrelevant. A universe only it has any meaning whatsoever if there's a mind that registers existence. And thus we have our human units. And we, as human units, live within a time-space continuum. But at the same time, as we gain our enlightenment, we transcend the limitations of our time-space. Just think of the concept of when you leave your body. When you leave your body, you enter an astral plane, and no longer does time exist. Time is only relevant to that astral being, to in terms of those beings that are going through day and night, day and night, day and night, on the Earth sphere. But on the astral realm... There's no such thing as day and night. It's astral light. It's universal light that's continuous. So how do they reckon time? See, there's no day and night. When you eliminate mind and you eliminate any frame of reference to time, time does not exist. The time on the astral plane is apportioned according to karmic time because it... We don't just go onto the astral plane and it's endless. When particular sanskaras have become exhausted, when particular karmic streams have become exhausted, we incarnate, we go to it either more cleansed or less cleansed faster yeah, than the astral plane and higher But what you actually have to see here is that the astral unit, the, the being that's um, disincarnate, doesn't have a concept of this time. That whole um, cleansing of sanskaras is imposed upon that individual 
by a soul. And what the way that we reckon time, and when I'm talking about we as enlightened beings, um, reckon time is in accordance to cycles, the law of cycles. When is the cycle completed for uh, the manifestation of a set purpose, a set purpose, a set thing to, to achieve? And it doesn't matter, technically, if it takes a certain initiation um, in five Earth years or 50 Earth years, or if it takes it in 60 Earth years. Once that certain initiation has been achieved, that is the cycle. The Earth times are that, that it's taken to achieve it is irrelevant. The achievement, the step or the ascension in consciousness, the liberation is produced, that is the cycle, that is the time. So it's, it's cyclic time. Uh, that's, that's, so that's uh, consciousness time, not physical Not time. physical time. But another yeah. example of that, I got a flash of them, the appearance of the, our astral plane and the long experiences uh, that we have of it and then its yeah. disappearance is another period of time which actually right. may be almost immeasurable from some points of view but it's the same yeah, that's one reason why sometimes you see me a little bit frantic with you people because I'm aware internally of time the, the cycles that things need to be achieved by and if things haven't been achieved by that time you may see me screaming a little bit because once that cycle is completed, it's not going to be repeated. Not necessary until your next life or the life after. And matter of fact, some cycles repeat in this life that the last time they manifest was in Atlantis. Well, that was why I was a bit perplexed by your statement about that, 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 that Earth time in relationship to... Uh, let's say energetic achievements is distinct or separate whereas there's a interrelationship because earth time is also governed by karma and is also reflective of abstract cycles yes yes that that's it but see the karma manifests according to the law of cycles and it's the law of cycle the cyclic time which is the real Earth time is also Earth time is cyclic, also time. cyclic time, but it's, it, it has its diurnal cycles, etc., its, its rhythms that are, are different to the cycles of the manifestation of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a, a form of a cyclic time, but it's mathematically exact. This Earth time has its math, math, maths behind it, and our scientists can, uh-huh. can compute this with great accuracy. But... Even, even so, the cycles of day and night is not actually static, it's actually changing all the time. It's um, you know, 25.24 something other. Days do change themselves yeah. according to cosmic events and things like that. It's because the, it, it's the, the based on, on the substance of the, the Earth itself, the, what's happening to the moon. and it's, There's so, not an absolute reckoning of, of yeah. Earth time per se, but they can measure it with, with great accuracy. So no body of manifestation, no physical thing, technically exists unless there's a mind observing it. Yes. It doesn't exist for all practical purposes to that mind. That's your carrying. But could it still exist in absolute terms without a mind? But it can't because there's a mind that's created that. It's a mind that's and created it, 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 it is still connected to that. It can only have an appearance and phenomena when there's a mind 
that, that's observing it, the it's, mind that's directing it. This if goes back no to mind, the dinner, dinner crash in the forest hall. Yeah, yeah, that's right. If there was no one there to see it, well, it still did. Well, it, it, you can you can go oh. into the forest, you can see, and you can find the evidence of that branch having fallen. <laughs> and we know that there's somebody walking around in Paris or or Prague or, or New York right now because your logical mind yeah. um, can say yes, logically, we, you know, we've we've got the evidence. Blah blah blah, because our dear sort of sister in Scotland, you know, we've got the evidence that there that she's in Scotland. Um, but in reality, her next door neighbour, we have no concept of it. To us, her next door neighbour, whatever he or she is doing, is irrelevant. It's it's not part of your space-time continuum. It's not part of your could experiential zone until you meet that person. It could hmm. have a psychic effect, though. Oh, of course, it could but have. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the fun. that's the old sort of teaching of the butterfly flying, and it's yeah. got a reverberation from the universe. Isn't, isn't uh, the important question why is it that that is so? In other words, why is it that it doesn't exist unless something recognises it? Because isn't it that the interesting thing? Because what happens yeah. when something recognises is an actual, if you like, reaction which reverberates throughout the whole process of karma, way beyond just... That's right. It produces samskaric um, interaction. It produces samskaras in consciousness that um, are measurable or observable. If there's no samskaras in consciousness, then it doesn't exist to that consciousness. And doesn't that lead furthermore uh, to, um, right. in the icons yeah. that where you mention yeah. the um, relation of the Mahamudra between, you know, between the Buddha, the contemplative and the and the, um, the two forms of the Yabyum, you know, the is actually the relationship between the two, the, the third truth, because it to constantly right, perceives yes. it's what you say, in fact, is the samsara... Sunyaja Nexus is that way because it's that flashing forth of the consciousness which recognises that the, that is there at that point in time which allows that to evolve, which allows every single point of evolution to continue one cog and eventually results in the formation of a solar yeah. logos. Therefore, we only exist, and we're talking about we here in terms of humanity as a whole, including whoever's in New York and whatever they're doing and wherever else they are, because there's what we call the mind of God that holds it all in sway, all in that being's consciousness. It's all part of within the mind's eye. So that means every bit of matter is in relationship with an intention. That's right. So it's not static. Matter cannot be ultimately cannot be static. static. There's no such thing as a vacuum in the universe. So Everything is moving. Moving in some direction. Somewhere I looked at, um, when, when I was an astronomer, they looked at the darkest point in space where they you know, just looked at a tiny little <laughs> speck of it. And then they blew it up with their their telescopes and blew it up and blew it up and then they, they, they counted thousands upon thousands upon thousands of galaxies in the darkest, mm-hmm. <laughs> tiniest little speck out there in space just to show you, you know, what to your mind's eye and my mind's eyes is dark space but when you analyse it minutely you'll see that there is actually something there but until you actually do this work mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. So just now, because you've brought it to our consciousness, those galaxies exist a little bit more. That's because right. a few more people are energising the thought form. Yeah. So anyway, you can see this is the yoga carrier philosophy, which is very important in all of Buddhism. And therefore, we are um, the Nyingma 
which is the Majjhimika Yogacarya school. But mind is all there is in reality, whichever way you look at it, because there's no way you can conceive of anything without the use of your mind. We're saying that things don't exist until they've been identified, really by consciousness. Yes, we can call that's them right. it's, and it's we've identified consciousness as human, mm. and we've identified diva as the creator of forms. We've actually um, identified diva not only that, but as the substance of consciousness. Are you saying though that until a diva has been registered by a consciousness, then how many divas exist in the mind of average human beings? Not very many, no. <laughs> That's right. So you can understand, for average human beings, divas don't exist. It's only because you have developed certain faculties that allows you to experience them, that they, you can even talk about them. Um, for them, it's just myth, mythology or, you know, things with butterfly wings attached to little girls' bodies. You could say that the soul is composed of solar angels. Oh, that's diva. But according to, as I understand it, our physical plane, that's human. So that's the your higher consciousness is solar angels, right? But it's actually the human that you then utilise to manipulate the divas down here. That's right. But in absolute terms, they're still diva, but it's the intermediary. The human is the will that that, that, that manipulates or or moves the deeper forces. That's right, yeah. Just by this conversation that we had the other night about human and diva, it's like human should be thought of in a very different way to how we frequently think about it in contrast to diva. Because to me it seems like we often think about it as human form. But but actually it's really about sight, isn't it? Isn't it about awakened sight consciousness like what's consciousness bringing right. things That's to right. life which is the what form saying. that you identify with as diva the consciousness that identifies that's human so what's all this gut we're trying to get away from it's not diva it's not human what is this it's <laughs> <an issue>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just like going in first year second year third year so yeah. if you go personality soul monad you're going to go through all the different gears first year you know what I mean? And see so you move from one to the other constantly. Now let's let's face it, we can all fall in love with the diva mm. aspect of ourselves. Let's give it a good hug and move on. I'm I'm glad that you're enjoying the concept of diva. That's the sad thing of Buddhism, they haven't really understood this. I usually go the concept of human and trying to elevate it. Yeah. Rather than the concept of diva. Yes, creativity, the forces of the mother. The mother creates. That's the third way, that's the deeper function. My question was, for example, for me the soul, the soul is devic. Is it correct, Bodo? The soul is um, composed of deeper substance. The essence of the soul is devic. The soul is composed of deeper substance. Um, the, what um, DK and Cosmic Fire calls a ninefold la. And um, but that which incarnates into it is the human. It's the continuous. You have to always think of this yin yang fusion of two types of attributes. One is a form that exists, so that a spirit or consciousness aspect can utilize it. Whichever level you want to look at. Because it is within the experiences of a human being. 
because the soul is unfolded in its life, and each life it is growing and evolving uh, with more radiance and more express, expression of its true nature. Because the true nature of the soul belongs to a specific ray, and it is born that way since the beginning, in this ray. But it is not each life expressed the ray. It is in one life particularly, the ray is revealed and expressed more in its David form. It means we, David for me is more cosmic. It means the essence of divinity, the essence of the divine. Well, that's one aspect, but all is divine. Um, everything is divinity. And the atom of substance is David just the same, just the same as the greatest cosmic lord you know, embodies the devil within. The, this is a you know, you, you can't really get away from this yin-yang type of interrelationship, fluidity. It is difficult to live in community in Sangha, but it is so powerful in the term of growth. Growth, the, the soul unfolding its petals, um, if we are able to accept all the different rays around us and the different perspectives they are, they are expressing, but all as all is love and uh, divine, so we help each other. So I'm, I'm extremely encouraged to have been this morning with you. It evolves, and as consciousness evolves, it evolves as it creates space, the space of greater and greater consciousness. You can think of it in terms of the, the movement so of evolution of knowledge. The space, is, the, conscious, the space of consciousness that expands. This is the, the concept of time-space continuum. So then in that case, the mother is actually time. You can look at mother as time. I mean, in, in Hindu mythology... And the sun is consciousness. In the Hindu mythology, it's Kalima, it's the goddess of time. Yeah. Um, and therefore you look at consciousness as the sun, and that which consciousness evolves into as the father. It's, um, or, you know, the, that which abstracts consciousness out of time space considerations altogether. Into the next cycle. Into the next cycle, that's right. But you can see that quite clearly the, the mind expands, uh, the space of the mind expands as you gain more and more knowledge about things. Every time there's a more, another experience, the, the space of the mind expands to incorporate that experience. So I was just going back to your original diagram, the point, which is the father, the circumference, which is the mother, and the child is the spiral. The child is the spiral. So it's it's it, that's why I'm asking: is it time? Because it's actually the, the process of yeah, arriving. But when you look at the when you look at the spiral, then you're looking at space-time continuum. Yeah. Okay. And then you can see when you look at my book, which you've done the diagram model. Uh, in um, the meditation book, um, where I've, you've got the spiral of space going through the, the that symbol of phi, if you know the Greek letter phi, and the, um, um, it moves in that that way to produce the movement of space. And you've done the diagram, you know it, the space-time. And that's actually a nadi, a nadi flow. And each nadi is arranged in accordance to the quality of the five Dhyani Buddhas. So I, I guess I'm sort of mm-hmm. wondering also, are they interchangeable? Because what's, it's what's interchangeable? Well, these these two defining attributes, because in one sense, the, the, the womb is the space, 
the mother is the space. No, the, the womb is that entire circle in which that space-time continuum is evolving through. Okay. Or more correctly, three-dimensional sphere with thinking three dimensions. And there's a fourth dimensional motion, as you know, yeah. which is the liberation of consciousness. It's the spiral that expands out of the circle. Well, and also right angles to itself. So it's, um, and that's when the space-time continuum no longer has meaning. So in other words, you can't attribute necessarily space and time to two separate qualities of the, of the triune aspects of deity, can you? No. Because it's more space-time. It's space is the second-ray quality a- attribute. Rather than space equals this and time equals mm. that, yeah. 